Okay, I'm glad you're here. It's a it's an exciting time. We're 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 starting the Torah again, and uh, and it's also today is the 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 art site of uh, Reb uh, Levi Yitzchak of Berdichev, the 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 beloved uh, holy tzaddik, the Berdichev Rebbe. Um, so everybody knows uh, his he 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 only saw the the good in people, and and was just legendary at at being able to, the, the way we would, uh, the, the modern psychological term we use right now is reframing. He would reframe a situation in order to just see the good. So, so um, there's, so many, there, there, there's so many stories, like for instance, he, he, he once saw someone smoking on Shabbos, right? He was just standing out right in public smoking on Shabbos, and this is like a couple hundred years ago, and so that's, that was not a, you know, it, it was more of a shocking thing to see, and and he went up to him and he said, "Do you you know, do do you know that it's Shabbos?" And 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 the person said, "Yeah, I know," and he said, "But do do you know that you're not allowed to to do this on Shabbos?" And and he said, "Yeah, yeah, I know." And then the Berdichever turned to Hashem and said. Look how holy your people are. They wouldn't lie for anything, right? Like he found, he found this amazing way to, to understand it. He, he saw another time there was someone who was um, greasing the wheels of his cart, um, and he, he was still wearing his tefillin. And it, it just seemed like, you know, it was, it, it was... Maybe before he had started to do that type of manual labor, he should have taken his tefillin off at that point. That, that seems to have been, seems to be maybe the, the more respectful way to go about it. But he hadn't done that. And, and he, he turned to God and he said, look, they even wear tefillin while greasing your cart. You know, like, like this amazing level. Uh, another story. He, it, was, it was Erev Pesach. It was about to be Pesach. And um, one of the things, I, I don't know exactly where Berdichev was, whether, whether this was in Russia or, or, or Poland, I'm not, I'm not sure exactly, or somewhere in between. But whatever it was, um, there was this sort of like, there were like big tensions with, with, with Turkey at that point. And, and Turkish, uh, uh, like, snuff was like a, a contraband. That was, that was against the law because, you know, um, it was just an illegal substance to have. And so Erev Pesach, he, he made this announcement in this, you know, public area and said, I need some Turkish snuff, which was totally illegal. Like, you could go to jail for, for having such a thing. He said, I need some Turkish snuff. And all these different people started running to him, you know, to, to be willing to provide him with, 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 this, with this contraband, right? And, um, and then he said, now I need some chametz. Right, and everyone looked at him and said, "Are you crazy? It's Erev Pesach. There's no chametz anywhere." And then he turned to God and he said, "Look, these people are not afraid to defy the the czar of Russia with th a threat of going to jail, but but the idea of having chametz before Pesach, not a single person would dare do such a thing before you, God." And then. Maybe my favorite story of all of them. He, you know, he was the Berdichever. You know, we can only imagine, but he was beyond, 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 beyond. And when he davened, 
I, I, I can't even picture it in my head what it was. He, he didn't stay in one spot. He, he ran from one side of the room to the other and who knows what else. He was just, it just was apparently just legendary in its own time, just how he davened, just, just what, what it looked like. At that time, there were, you know, just like today, there were there were nightclubs, and there were performers who needed um, to make a livelihood, and they needed to have a, a new act. And this particular performer um, was a comedian, and he needed a new act. And he decided he's going to go and watch the Berdichever Davin. And that's going to be his new act. He's going to imitate on stage the Berdichever, Davin. And again, he was a comedian, so he was going to go for laughs, you know. And he gets on stage and he's ready, you know, at this nightclub, wherever, wherever it was, you know. And the people in the crowd were not religious. And he says, you know, now I'm going to show you how the Berdichever Davins, right? And he starts imitating on stage the Berdichever Davinin. And the people in the crowd started crying and doing chuba. Oh, wow. So, so they were supposed to be laughing, right? But they weren't laughing. And, and that somehow gets to me, that story, really, because His Holiness clearly was so piercing that even someone who is just going through the motions somehow was channeling that, that Holiness in a way that was real enough for the people to, to just, just kind of reconsider their own lives, you know? So, so that's the Berdichever. And I think it's really appropriate that we went from Shabbos Breshis, right, right into the Berdichever's Yurtzai. And you know, Adam, we have to call you out yesterday just to, just to tell you how it, how it went down yesterday in the Minyan. All of a sudden I was just saying a few words at Chalashudas, and Adam, uncharacteristically, just said, you have to tell the story of the Berdichever. And he said a specific one. So maybe we'll say that over also. So the story is that, um, you know, in the early days of the Hasidic movement, it wasn't, it wasn't known to the rest of the Jewish world how, how extraordinary, how, how extraordinarily gifted the, the, the early Hasidim were, especially the Hasidic masters, like the Baal Shem Tov and the, the Magid of Mezrich, and how they were just complete, masters of the revealed and the hidden Torah, as well as being, you know, amazing, you know, beyond Bali Midos, you know, in terms of just perfecting their own character and personality. And, you know, you know, you can go on and 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 on. But it, but it wasn't known. It, it wasn't known widely. And so the, the Berdichever's father-in-law was someone who is, who is a, a scholar, but he was, you know, from the kind of the more establishment world. And, and he had seen that his son-in-law had just taken off for a chunk of time to learn, either it was either with the, the, the Baal Shem Tov or with the Magid of Mezrich, and, and he had come back, and his father was just sort of, you know, 
just 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 shaking his head over it like you know what are you doing like basically what are you doing with your time like you know he said what what did you what did you learn while you were there and and he said back to him he said i learned that there's one god and his father-in-law was like our our housekeeper knows that there's one god you know so he calls her in and says how how many how many how many gods are there and she says, one. And so he just looks at the Berdichever, you know, like, what are you doing? And the Berdichever says back to him, she says that there's one God. I know that there's one God. So, so, anyway, told the story. And then, and so Adam was obviously channeling something because he didn't, he didn't even know that it was the Berdichever's Yurtzai. Yet he just was like, and it was already nighttime outside. It was already the next day outside. It was like, and then after davening, you were like, no, we're, we're, we're ending the davening too, too soon. This was after Marv. So you would look through to, let's say, an extra prayer. So you turn to good from Abraham, which is a beautiful prayer. Everyone should say it if you don't know it. You, it's short, and you say it three times. It's a beautiful, beautiful prayer. Anyway, you've never done that before. No. And you were drawn to that prayer, and it was written by the Berdichever Rebbe, right? So, anyway, that's a prayer to say after Shabbos. It's, it's in the art scroll. It's called um, "Good from Abraham." God, that's a, it's in Yiddish. It's God of Abraham. You can read it in English, whatever it is. You read it three times. It's beautiful, beautiful, beautiful prayer. Um, so, so like I say, it's, it's. I think it's very appropriate that we're going from Breshis, um the beginning, the beginning of the world, the beginning of the Torah, into, into, into the the Berdichever's Yurtzeit, because, because, you know, every every single person has to give them themselves the permission to begin again, and. And you, you can you can really only do that if you have a good eye for yourself. You know, there are a lot of people, they have a, a good eye for other people, but when it comes to themselves, they're just tearing themselves down all the time. You know, there's a, there's a famous story, I'm just kind of paraphrasing it, but, but to the point, just, just to show you how far this idea goes, that it, it, it actually is halakha. Um, someone was riding with um, the Chofetz Chaim and uh, they didn't know that it was the Chofetz Chaim and of course the Chofetz Chaim was you know was considered you know by many to be the, the greatest tzaddik in the world at the time you know anyway so but he was very very humble and he didn't go around you know presenting himself in finery and things like this anyway uh, this person sees the, the carriages pulling in they see this big crowd that's gathered at the at the, at the stop and they the person turns to the Chovetz Chaim. They were there to greet the Chovetz Chaim, to honor him, to honor the Torah. And and he says to the to the person, you know, why are they, you know, you know, I, you know, they're they're, ga- they're 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 gathering to see the great Chovetz Chaim, you know. And the Chovetz Chaim, he didn't realize that he was talking to the Chovetz Chaim. So the Chovetz Chaim says back to him, oh, he's not so great. He says, what are you talking about? He's like, he's like beyond. He says, he's amazing. He goes, it's, you know, they're, they're exaggerating. 
And then the man slapped the Chofetz Chaim across the face <laughs> and said, how dare you speak against, you know, you know, the, the Gedolim, the, the, the great ones of the, of the generation. How dare you? And then he almost has a heart attack when he realizes that that was the Chofetz Chaim that he was speaking to. But the Chofetz Chaim said back to him, and here's the point of the story. He said back to him, no, you're right, because the Chofetz Chaim says, I was speaking Lashon Hara about myself, and that's not permitted. That there is a concept, but this is why I'm telling you the story about, about this, 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 this gift. There's a gift that's just existing in the world nonstop, which is the ability to forgive yourself, to, 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 to give yourself a good eye. And, and, and it goes so far that it's actually part of the halacha that just like you can't speak out negatively against someone else, you can't speak negatively about yourself. We had a situation in, in Shul yesterday, a very, very interesting thing. It's actually, it's actually even deeper, and so I just kind of, you have to kind of, I'm still kind of thinking through all the parts of it. But the, the first part is very neat and clean. Then it gets a little deeper and more complicated. But let's just take the first part for now, which is that yesterday we were reading the Torah, and we got up to the sixth aliyah, right? There's seven aliyahs, and then you kind of repeat the very last part that's called maftir. But... But we were up to the sixth aliyah, so we're almost done with the entire Parsha. And then someone, the, the, the reader, the laner, notices that one of the letters has been kind of like, um, it, it doesn't exist entirely. In other words, it, uh, like it's been chipped off. And so, this was yesterday, yeah. So, so what happened was, um, you know, the, the Torah is not kosher, because what's, you know, just... You see the phenomenal holiness of the Torah. The phenomenal holiness of the Torah. I mean, we say that there's 600,000 letters in the Torah. If one letter is not, you know, to, up to snuff in terms of, in terms of being complete, then, then the entire Torah can't be read. So now the question is, what do you do? Do you... You, you could say, you could say, right... This is in Gomorrah talk, we would call this a Hava Amina, right? You could say that since this Torah is not kosher, and it was never kosher, even from the beginning of the reading of it, therefore, go, you, you, now that we've discovered that we've been reading all along from a non-kosher Torah, we have to start from the beginning of the reading, from, the, from, from Rishon, right? And then just take it from there. But because only a, there was a little missing part of the letter, enough to make it puzzle so that you couldn't read from the Torah anymore. Because, therefore, therefore, there was enough of the letter there that that you could go ahead and just pick it up from the sixth Aliyah. That that was the one where we found it. You understand? You didn't have to go back all the way from the beginning. You could just pick up from, from where you left off. You just start from the beginning of the sixth aliyah, and then you're, you're good. And so I was thinking about that, and it seems, it seems like a lot of us reach it. All of us make mistakes. Some of us make really big mistakes. Make a really big mistake. And I think that the temptation is to say, therefore, my whole life is, 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 is no good. Right? 
like all the reading, so to speak, all the reading that we had done up until then in that Torah doesn't count for anything because of the mistake that I made. But you see, that's not the halacha. The halacha is, no, 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 no. You pick up, you pick up from right there. You pick up from right there. In other words, you make a mistake, even if it's a giant mistake, okay, fine. You fix it and you move on from there. Every, every good thing we've ever done, every good thing we've ever done, doesn't get wiped out because we did a, a, a bad thing, even if it's a big bad thing. It, it just doesn't get wiped out. Now, I just want to tell you just something a little bit more, but I don't think we're in this second category. Just so you know the halacha, since we're saying halacha, right? So the rest of the halacha is, but wait, what if a letter or a word is missing? In other words, you find in the Torah that you reach a word and you go, wait a second, there's a letter missing from that word or there's a word missing from that verse. Then, then, then you would, then you can, then, then in, when you go back to, right, because you don't pick up reading, you have to bring in a new Torah in every version, right? But then you would have to start from the beginning. Okay? But I don't think any of us are actually in that category. Because when we're born, we're born with a pure soul. Right? In other words, we're all born with something to work on. And we're all born with something that needs fixing. But it's not on the level that there's something that's missing that we start off like invalid. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Like, it's not, God doesn't put you on earth with just like three wheels on your sedan. <laughs> Everyone starts off with the thing, okay, then we'll make mistakes along the line. And, and how does it happen that just one of the letters gets like that? Through wear and tear. <laughs> you know, life has a lot of wear and tear on it. It has a lot of wear and tear on it, right? So we just pick up and we start again. So, you know, i just tell you another story. Um... You know, the the it, it just seems like uh, the more the more we we just keep our eyes open, the more we see. And hopefully, the more we learn, the more we see. Yeah. And um, just a, a moment that just happened to me that I just want to share with you. Just uh, you see, we were we were just getting ready to to begin braces at the minion. You know. And uh, just say over a couple of Torahs about that, since it's Breshis, and we'll get to the story in a bit. So, so, so everybody knows that the last letter of the Torah is the letter Lamed of Yisrael. And the first letter of the Torah is the letter Bez of Breshis. And that, that spells Lev, which means heart. Right? So it's, a, it's this amazing thing. Um, you see, but if you asked me if, if I were going to spell heart I would have made Lamed the first letter of the Torah and Bez the last letter of the Torah so that, so, that, so that it spells it a little bit more 
intuitively. There you go. There's the lava, there's the base. It's one big heart, right? But, but it's actually deeper than that. It's deeper than that. I just want to explain why, why I think it works the other way. Why the last letter is, is lev, and then the first letter is base. See, because the Torah is the blueprint of reality. But God also made us partners with him in terms of perfecting the world. So God sort of like lays out creation. And then the question is, what are we doing with him, right? What are we doing with ourselves? What are we doing with all the talents that God is giving us? What are we doing with all the resources of the world in terms of making, revealing the oneness of God and everything like this? So you see, you go through the year because it's at the end of the year that we reach the letter Lamed. And that's like the blood going through the circulatory system. In other words, you've gotten that first pump is from God, right? And it travels to your body and it reaches all the way to the end, which is the Lamed of your heart, the Lamed of Lave. And then, based on how much you've done during the year, based on what your life force is, who you are, right? That's going to be how much gets pumped into the bays of Brachis. In other words, because, because when, when, when the judgment of Rosh Hashanah is coming down and, 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 and all of the rest and the whole process leading up to, right, we have Tshuva Meira and Tshuva Ma'ava, returning to God out of love, returning to God out of awe. We've got this whole process which culminates and then we're ready for the bays of Brachis because remember, we should be reading Breshis on Rosh Hashanah. If Rosh Hashanah is about the creation of the entire universe, Breshis is about the creation of the entire universe. Why aren't we reading it on Rosh Hashanah? And the answer, as far as I'm concerned, is very, very straightforward, which is that we haven't finished all of the work that we have to do on ourselves yet. We Remember, remember, the Sefer Yetzirah says all of reality can be boiled down into three components. Time, space, and soul. Okay? So the soul part, that's, that's you've got, that's, that's your realm. That's your realm. God's taking care of the time and the space. But in terms of finishing up the final ingredient, that, that's, 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 what, that's what we're up to. That's what we have to be doing. So, so, so when we, we get all the way up to the beginning of Breshis, because when you read Breshis, that's already the blueprint of reality. Remember, whatever's going on in the Torah is going on in the world. And as Rabbi Wolfson says, God takes the letters of that week's Parsha and weaves them together to make the fabric of reality. So once you're getting up to Breshis, here is the new world. So you have up to the reading of Breshis so to speak, to get your soul together. And I just want to say one more thing, and then I'll tell you the story. So, classic Torah from the Kutzka Rebbe. So it says in Shema, God says, take these words and put them on your heart. Al levavecha. So he asks, why does it say put them on your heart? It should say put them in your heart. And he says, the way I heard Rip Shlomo say it over was, you know, let's not kid ourselves. How often does a person really have an open heart? 
right? It happens when it happens. So he says, put them on your heart so that at those few moments when your heart actually does open, they'll be right there to drop in. Right? So I felt like there's this amazing moment between when we finish the Torah and read the Lamed of Lev, and then we read the Bays of Breshis, that that's the moment of the open heart. There's like this big moment for prayer. And I said, we've all got to pray then. And I forgot to announce the time for us to pray. And I realized it at the end of all of the davening. Like, we, 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 we went till, I think, we started at 9 for uh, Simcha's Torah day, and it was Erev Shabbos. We finished at 5 p.m., right? And then I thought, wait a second, let's do Mincha. I didn't realize Mincha was going to be later for, we were going to attach it to, you know, Kabbalah Shabbat for, for Shabbos. And I was like, wait, we're, I said, Mincha. And then someone said, no. And I was like, we're done? And then he was like, yeah, that doesn't make sense. Okay, let's have a bringing in the sukkah. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, it doesn't feel right that we should ever be done, right? So, so we went into the sukkah, and, and then I went. I, I'm, I'm sitting opposite Nadir, if you, if you know who he is, and, you know, a great friend of the minion. And all of a sudden it hit me. I went, ah, oh, we forgot to pray. And he looked at me, he said, we've been here all, what do you mean we forgot to want? That's all we've been doing. And I was like, no, 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 no. between the Lamed and the base, you know. So, but it was just to see the expression on his face was kind of hilarious. But um, anyway, so I was thinking, you know, you really have till the base. So with that in mind, let me just tell you the story. So, um, so Yom Kippur, we, we auction off the aliyahs, um, which is uh, always a, a special time at the, at the Minyan, um, because we do this thing called add-ons, where each of the aliyahs stands for something special. Um, I think, you know, maybe, maybe we'll go through it sometime, the different kavanas for each of the aliyahs, but, and then for each one, you have uh, the, the chance to do add-ons, right, you know, to attach yourself to that that blessing, that opening. And um, anyway, so my sister was very nice. I'm a levy. She, 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 she bid for, for the levy aliyah for me, so that I got the levy aliyah. So uh, when we got up to the, the reading, we got, you know, we start with Kohen, that's the, the first aliyah, and there was no Kohen there. So, so there's two kind of, um, we say shitas, two different um, ways that people handle this. If there's no Kohen, some people say you call up a Levi, and other people say, no, you don't call up a Levi. So, you know, there, there's, there's two opinions on that. But even the people who say that you don't call up a Levi, if there is a Levi who's like a Talmud Chacham, then they make an exception and they'll call up a Levi in, in that instance. But, but you have kind of two different schools of thought, and since I'm a Levi, I've been in different shuls, and they're, both sides are widely subscribed to, you know. Um, anyway, so there was no Kohen there, so they said, okay, so you, you come up and do the Kohen Aliyah. So they call me up by name, and there's kind of a rule, which is that if you're called up to the Torah by name, and then they realize after the fact that there's some sort of mistake, like, for instance, there's like a, 
don't know, sometimes there's a simcha going on and they've, they've arranged for certain people to have uh, aliyahs in advance, but the person who was calling you up didn't know that. Every once in a while, there's, 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 a, there's some sort of good reason why, even after you've been called up, that they don't want you to have that aliyah for some good reason. However, the rule is once you've been called up by name, that's it. Then, you're, then, you, then you have to have it, okay? So I got called up by name. And then, right as I'm about to start saying the blessing, someone goes, oh, a Kohen just walked in. And then someone says, by, right by the Bima, right where the Torah was, says very strongly, no, he was called up by name, he gets it. And there was something in the back of my mind that I was thinking, wait a second, I, I don't know if that's actually right in this particular circumstance, but everything was happening so fast that I just went and I, 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 I did the Aliyah, right? But, but I remember learning, there was something in the back of my mind, which is that with the Kohen Aliyah, it's a little bit different. And if the Kohen is called in, if the Kohen is called in, even if the Levi has been called up by name, the Kohen still gets the Aliyah. And in fact, I learned further that even if he starts the word Baruchu and the Kohen walks in, so he hasn't completed the blessing or I guess said Hashem's name, whatever it is, but he, even if he said Baruchu and the Kohen walks in, the Kohen still gets the Aliyah. Okay? So, I had this in the back of my mind and I was thinking about it and you know, I thought, you know, it, that was such a hyper-specific memory. It's not like a drusha, like an interpretation on a verse. You know what I mean? That's like such a, like, complete set of information, which is so, like, tight, that it's like, I was thinking, the more I thought about it, after I had already gotten the aliyah, the more I thought, no, that's the halacha. I shouldn't have done it. The Kohen should have gotten that aliyah. And I, I, I made a mistake. And I was talking with a, a rabbi about it, and you know, he was saying, yeah, you know, these, these type of situations, they happen so quickly and everything like that. And still I wasn't even positive yet that that was the halacha. And he had just had a similar question, something related, not quite that. And I asked him, I said, could you research that and find out what, what the exact halacha is there, okay? So that was, um, that was then. Um, either later on that afternoon or the next day. And this is a pretty exotic circumstance that we're talking about right now. This is not an everyday situation. The next day, you know, it's Simchas Torah and, and um, the, the custom is that, that, that everyone gets an aliyah. And in order to cycle through all the different people, you know, if, if you've got more than one Sefer Torah, you split up into different rooms just so you can cycle through it. And you're only reading a small passage so you can get through it and you rotate it through it and you try to kind of get it done, you know. So I was downstairs and it, it was like the second, maybe the second round of that, of that set. And they're up to the Kohen Aliyah. And they call me up for the Kohen Aliyah. And, and they call me up by name. And after they call me up by name, a guy runs in and says, I'm a Kohen. And I said, he gets the Aliyah. And I was just saying the day before that, you know, he was saying, you know, maybe you can apologize to the Kohen because a Kohen can be mochel on his covet, meaning that he can, you know, he can forgive 
that type of thing. And I said, you know, I didn't even see him. He was on the opposite. I don't even know who he is. And so I was talking about how I, I, I would love to find some way to correct this somehow, but I don't know how to do it. Like, I don't know how to do it. And so the Kohen runs in and says, I'm a Kohen, and even though I've been called up by name, and I still hadn't confirmed that that was the halakha. And so he, the, the Kohen, got the Aliyah, and then I saw him a little bit after that, and he said, I just looked it up, that's the halakha. You know? And this was before we started Breshis. <laughs> so, as Reb Shlomo would say, what do we know, you know? Like, you see that we say by Breshis that every single moment is a, is, is, is a new beginning. That when it says, Breshis bara elokim esashemayim ve'esha'aretz, we don't translate it as in the beginning. Right? So I, I heard Rabbi Shlomo say, it means, he says in the name of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, out of beginnings, with beginnings, God created the world. In other words, the fabric of creation is made out of beginnings and that every single moment is a new beginning. Right? This is how, it, how it's possible to begin again because the world itself is made out of beginnings. Right? So I just want to say another thing. And we can talk literally forever about this. I mean, there's so many zillions of teachings. But I'll just tell you something Rabbi Tat said. And I'm sure he was saying it in the name of something else. Probably, I'm, I'm going to guess the Tikkune Zohar, but I don't know for sure yet. Anyway, he says, God is telling you right at the beginning of creation that creation itself is a process. See, here's, here's what we have to fight against, this notion that God created a perfect world and we destroyed it. And that the whole of creation is us trying to get out of the hole of having destroyed a perfect creation. That is not the Jewish point of view. That is not, that is not, that's not it. That's not it. When it says out of beginnings, when you hear the word beginning, a narrative is being suggested to you. Beginning implies that there's going to be a middle and an end. Do you understand? The very word beginning is, is, is a... Like if I say to you, um, okay, you're first, you're first, what does that imply? That there's a second and a third. Right? Otherwise, what would I say? You're the one. Right? But if I say you're first, the very word first implies a process that has been put into place. Do, do you understand? So when it says out of beginnings, the very word beginning is telling you that there's a middle and an end that's coming. That there's a story, that creation is a story that's unfolding around us and that we are active participants in telling the story. So, have you ever talked with someone who, like, they're, they're going to, they're, 
you know they're going to tell you a long story. <laughs> and you, you, you got stuff to do. Nothing against the person, you just got stuff to do. So you say to the person, I, I want to hear, but can you, you know, can you, can you hurry up? Can you hurry up? So we, we have that ability because this story is being told around us and through us and we, we can hurry up the story. <laughs> we, we, we want to get to the end of the story. How do you get to the end of the story? How do you hurry up the story? By doing more mitzvahs. By, by, by fixing ourselves. Because remember, as Reb Shlomo says, this world is like a giant hospital clinic. Everybody here is, you're only here because there's something broken. This is a big hospital clinic. We're all here from the outset because there's something broken. We all have something to fix. That's all of us. So it's just sort of like, okay, let's, let's, let's fix whatever we need to fix or complete whatever we need to complete, right? Because that was, remember, I've said it a million times, but we have to say it again. Everybody gets confused. Everybody gets confused on this point. We all think that Gan Eden, the Garden of Eden, was a cosmic spa, and we blew it. We blew it, right? They caught us stealing from the honor bar, right? It's sort of like, you want to open up your bag? Wow, there are all these like mini bottles of vodka in your bag. Where did those come from? And here's a towel? Right? You know, that says the name of the hotel on it. And a bathrobe. Right? Like, that's what we, that's, that's what we think. But otherwise it would have been great. Otherwise it would have been great. And we, we wouldn't have had to do anything. And then God curses, like, man, that man has to work after that by the sweat of his brow, which some rabbis interpret as the tears of his eyes. Right? Meaning that the burden of making a livelihood will be crushing. That, that, so we think everything was great, and then we blew it, and now we have to work. But before, we didn't have to work, but now we have to work. But before we ate from the tree of knowledge, we didn't have to work. Okay, so we have some headline news here. Before we eat from the tree of knowledge, there's a clear pasuk that says that God commanded Adam to work and guard the garden before he eats from the tree of knowledge. Which means that from the very outset, from the very beginning, we were employees. <laughs> well, woman was inside man at that time. Yeah, but actually then maybe she was created also. Okay, so... So, so maybe the mitzvah is on both of them. Because it says that everything that was commanded to Adam, even before Achava was created, was also, crea was also commanded on Chava. Because she was inside Adam at that point. But, but I had to check the narrative when we got the mitzvah to work and guard the garden. By the way, they say to work and guard the garden, that's a positive command and a negative command, which is all of the mitzvahs of the Torah were basically in microcosmic form at that moment. In other words, that contained the entire Torah. 
So we had, the point is, let's, the point is, is that we had something to do, we had work to do from the very, very outset. We were not guests, and then we blew it, and now we have to work off our bill. Right? That wasn't it. We were employees from the outset. But then was going to come Shabbos. We were going to enter into Shabbos, and then everything changes. It was going to be, you know, the great Shabbos. The new that that was going to be a new reality. Okay. Okay. So. So I just, I just want to, sensitize ourselves. To, to, you know, just a bunch of things. One is. Is, is like this amazing blessing that God gives us. This incredible blessing, really. Amazing, amazing blessing. You know, the Torah ends with, um, with the words, Le'ene kol Yisrael, before the eyes of all of Israel. And if you contextualize those words, it says that Moshe did something wondrous before the eyes of all of Israel. And then that's the end of the Torah. So, so Rashi comments, like, asks the question, what, what was the wondrous thing he did before the eyes of all of Israel? And then this is the end of the, the, end of the Torah. Like, and, and he says, he broke the luchos. He smashed the tablets. Now, I'm telling you, if you were to interview 10,000 people, on what note is the Torah going to end on? I almost promise you, not one out of 10,000 people are going to say, well, we should be talking about the, the sin of the golden calf and Moshe's reaction to it, of course. Who would, who, who would write the Torah in such a way that the last words of the Torah was how unbelievable, and God loved it, by the way. It says God loved the fact that Moshe smashed the tablets at that moment. But I want to say, and I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure people have said it throughout history, but no one told me. I'm sure on a deep level what it's saying is you get to the end of the Torah and all your preconceptions about what the Torah are are being smashed, have to be smashed, so that you can now enter into learning the Torah brand new again. Because whatever you thought before, you realize it's so much greater than that. And it's freeing you up. It's opening up your heart, right? Because, because this smashing is also like, that's that moment between the Lamedin and, and the Bays. It's breaking open your heart in order to learn the Torah anew all over again. And now the Torah that you're learning is a different Torah because now the new you has been pumped, right? The Lamed, which is the culmination, the last letter of the Torah, Everything you've gone through through the whole year, all the tshuva, all the, all the fixing, all the work you've done on yourself over the last year, which is all held in that lamed, kicks into the base. And now it's a brand new Torah because it's a brand new you and it's a brand new world. Everything is brand new. And everybody knows. And they, it's, it's a known fact throughout all of history that every time that you're learning the Torah again, it's a new Torah. Everybody knows it. And, and if you aren't experiencing that, then, then, you're, then you are doing something wrong. Let's just, let's just make it very clear. And you have to ask yourself, what am I doing wrong? Am I not learning enough? Am I, do I have to learn with someone new? 
And do I have to buy a, a different set of books? Do, am I not really taking these words seriously? Am I not actually thinking them through? Right? Because it can't be real Torah study is, they call it work. It's called work. Right? Um, and, you know, I want to get the, the, the exact word because I, it's, it's, it's a strong point. When we make the blessing over the Torah, right? La Sok. Yeah, thank you. Which means to work. So, which means that you have to ask yourself the question, what does that mean? Or I just, uh, I just attended a talk. You ask yourself afterwards or during the talk, what did that person just say? What, did, what does that mean? But wait a second, that doesn't make it, then hopefully, hopefully you'll say to yourself, but that doesn't make any sense. Hopefully you'll say that to yourself, but that doesn't make any sense. And then the next thing you should say is, but then if, if, if it doesn't mean that, what, what does it mean? And now the gates begin to open. Now the gates begin to open because now you're starting to integrate this learning into who you are right now in a very real way. And now you're going to start to come up with explanations and things like that. And if you come up with stuff that's like really far out, then talk to someone about it, you know? Like I, I remember, like I, I have a friend who's, he's, he's, he's an artist and he's a beautiful, beautiful soul. He's a great guy. But he's, he's out there, you know? And he was telling me, you know, sometimes I like to put, like, the, the, the page very close to my nose and just stare at the words so that, like, the words, like, they lift off, off the page and then they start to, like, combine in different ways. And he said to me, is that a good way to learn the Torah? And I was like, well... <laughs> I said, as long as as you're not coming up with ideas based on that experience which contradict the halakhas and what's known, then, you know, for where you are right now, then that can, that can work if that's giving you inspiration. But if you're like all of a sudden combining this word and it's overlapping with this word and now you're reaching the conclusion that this is now permissible, where the Torah says it's not permissible, or I should be doing that, which is like really, like no one would say that, then no, then, then, then don't do that. Then don't do that. Then you're doing more harm than good. But the point is, the point is, is that at a certain point, if you actually think about what you're hearing, it should hopefully hopefully, not make sense to you. And when it doesn't make sense to you, that's your big opportunity. That's your big opportunity to actually make some real progress in your learning. Because now you've been given a personal invitation to make it make sense for you. And it will make sense for you, by the way. And by the way, there are things, there's, there are questions that I've had for years and 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 years. And then you get that delicious, fantastic moment where you go, oh, oh. And and it's earned. It's earned and it feels so good. 
So if it doesn't make sense to you, even when you get this personalized invitation to try to resolve a point, that's okay. You're, this is, you're in it for life, folks, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I, you know, you know, you, you know, it's, and, 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 and after, after life, <laughs> right? There's, there's, there's no running. There's no running. There's only making peace. <laughs> there's only making peace. And then, this even better level of actually enjoying. Right? So, so with that in mind, maybe I'll say something like way out. That just a kind of a way out to our, from uh, Shmini Atzeris. Because, you know, I guess the way the holidays fall out, we never really get a chance to talk about Shmini Atzeris. So... So Shmini Atzeris is, 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 I really, you know, I've really come to love Shmini Atzeris because, by the way, my wife always gives me a, a hard time, or just jokingly, which is that when I, you know, at some early jobs that I had out in Hollywood, they're like, you know, you have to take off these days, and they're sort of like, they're like, and what holiday is it right now? And it's like, and I would tell them, oh, it's Shmini Atzeris. And they'd be like, what? You know, this is going after Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur circus, which they just hear the word circus, you know? And it's like, now you're telling me Shmini Atzeris? Like, you've got to. So she says, no, there's, no, don't. Like, and her, her, her sister, like, no, not, don't, don't take off, but just, you know, find it, oh, Find another way to articulate that. And like her sister would say, uh, Shvuis, like none of her employees know Shvuis. Shvuis is a sick day. You just take a sick day. That's it. Just, you know. So that, that, that was her, her approach to this. But so Shmini Atzeris is, is, is an amazing holiday for so many different reasons. One is it's a, even though it's coming literally, literally after Sukkot, in other words, like, Sukkot goes right into Shmini Atzeris. It's a separate holiday. But what's so phenomenal about it is it's a brand new, own, independent holiday with the name the Eighth Day. So it's sort of like, the way I picture it, it's like this independent structure. Like, imagine this entrance to the building that's floating eight stories off the ground. <laughs> right? Like, how do you get into it? How do you... How do you access Shmini Atzeris? It's the eighth day, but it's its own holiday. How, how do you get in? So, so, so I think that the answer is, is that if, you, if you've ever gone skiing, you know, you take a chairlift all, all the way up to the top of the mountain. And that's the seven days of Sukkot, right? But really, that, that chairlift started, you know, the, the beginning of Elul, or Tuba'av even, right? And it's gone all the way up. And then you reach the, the, the top. You're on this level of the, the eighth day, which is like this, this amazing thing. So everybody wants to know what happened to the, what happened to the sukkah, right? Because what happens to the sukkah? So, so there's, an amazing, there's an amazing set of teachings, which is... Um, so I heard in the name of the Lubavitcher Rebbe, so... so 
we, we blow a, uh, a, sho- a hundred shofar blasts on Rosh Hashanah, and the gematria of the word schach, schach is the, the covering on top of the sukkah, and that's what really activates the sukkah, is, is 100. So that the 100 shofar blasts of Rosh Hashanah basically turn into the schach of, of sukkahs. Okay? And then it gets even deeper. So the Rebbe says that, that, the, that, that there's schach is spelled samech, um, which is 60, and then chaf, chaf, which is 20, 20. That's, a, that's 100. So of the shofar blast, there's 60 tekiahs, 20 truas, and 20 shvarms, which is the exact breakdown of the word schach. In other words, it's not just that there are 100 shofar blasts and that equals the gamatri of the word schach, but the increments in terms of the way it breaks down is each letter of the word schach, 60, 20, 20. An amazing, an amazing correlation. Like, like incredibly exact, right? So, so, so the Rebbe's say that what happens to the sukkah is after sukkah, the sukkah goes inside you. So, I liked that teaching, but I didn't love it. <laughs> because I didn't really understand it. It just sounded too neat and tied up. Like, okay, so the sukkah goes inside you. Okay. As, as Reb Shlomo would say, it's cute and it's sweet. Right? But, but this year, I, I thought about it some more. And I thought, oh, that's what the, that's what the teachings say. That's what it's saying, that's what it's saying, that's what it means. You see, remember, schach, schach is a hundred. And for schach to be kosher, right, you have to be able to see the stars through it. See, it, it, it ha- see this is the craziest thing about the sukkah. Everyone builds a structure, a building, in order to protect yourself from the outside. We build a structure to show that we're completely vulnerable to the outside. No one does that. That's, that's the, the most like, counterintuitive spiritual thing in the world. You build a whole structure. You spend time and effort constructing this structure to show that you're completely vulnerable to the elements. And of course, to show an even greater point that God is there and that God is the one who's protecting you. Right? So, everybody knows that there's ten sphera. Everybody knows there's ten sphera. These are the energies that God sort of like formed this outer garment of light. These are all <coughs> images. You're not to take these things literally. But it's just the chachamim, the sages give us this sort of vocabulary just so that we could have something to hang our thoughts on, right? But, but don't take it too literally. But God is molding this outer garment of his light and he's forming them into these ten energy spheres that we call spherot, and he's making the universe out of this, okay? Now, sukkus, right? Sukkus is seven days. Remember, the ten spherot are, are organized into the lower seven and the upper three. All right, that's, that's a clear distinction, distinction in, in understanding them. So the lower seven, those are the seven days of Sukkot. And when you've got your, your four species, right, the Arba Minim, it's actually seven pieces. 
believe it or not. Those four are actually seven. How does it work? Well, you've got the lulav and the esrog. That's two. Then you've got two stalks of the arabas, right? That's four. And you've got three stalks of the hadasim. That's seven. So you've got seven days of sukkahs, and that correlates with the lower seven sphero, which you're holding during sukkahs, those seven, okay? And now where do you go after you've reached to the top of the seven? You enter into atzeris, right? The shmini atzeris, this, this extra level. So the top sphero, the top three spherot are keter, hachma, and bina. And as Reb Leibla Eger points out, this unbelievable gematria, because where do you go after you reach the, the end of Sukkot, the top of the seven? So you go to the top three. So Keter, Hachma, and Bina add up to 760, which is gematria atzeris. So when Shmini atzeris kicks in, you're into the upper, upper spheres. Or the way I was visualizing it, it's like during Sukkot you're beneath the schach, after Sukkot, it's like you're above the Schach, right? Now listen to this. You have, since you're now in the realm of the upper three, now you're really talking not about the seven spherod anymore. You're really talking about the ten spherod, right? So each of the spheres contains all the other spheres. So when we're really talking about the ten spherod, we're really talking about 100 levels. Do you understand? It's, it's, it's actually ten times ten. You could call it the ten spherod, or you could say there's a hundred levels of the ten sphere. So what is so and that's the universe. That's the physical universe, right? Which includes all the spiritual realms actually. You know. So what is the well, you know, of course God is beyond that though. God exists beyond that though. These are just the created realms. So that's one hundred. And what did we say the Gamatri of Schach is? One hundred. Which means that, what does it mean the sukkah goes inside you? It means you're turning the entire universe into schach. <laughs> right? Because schach is 100. And there's a, a hundred levels in terms of the ten spherot, which is the ingredients of the universe. The whole world is being turned into schach. Okay, that's, that's, that's great, but now we have to ask ourselves, what's, so, okay, so it's all schach, I get it, so, but what's schach? <laughs> Give me something more to hold on to. If, if everything's made out of schach, what's schach? So, so now listen to this. So I heard from Rabbi Tatz that Sarah, right, our Holy Mother Sarah, so, so she was also known by another name, with, which is Yiska. Y- Yiska is, and you see that name at the end of Parshas Noach, if you want to find it. So, Yiska is Yud, Samach, Chaf, Hey. Do you hear the Samach and the, and the Chaf there? That's, that's the root of the word Schach. So, so, and why do they, what does Yiska mean? It means that to gaze, right? Because we're looking through the Schach. Or, or other people say that she was so beautiful that everyone would gaze at her, Right? But Rabbi Tatz said something unbelievable, which is that because she was known to be very, very beautiful. So, so what, what, is, what was the uniqueness of her beauty? Or what is, we'll say it even larger, since she's the mother of all the Jewish people. What does it mean? What is Jewish beauty? So Jewish beauty is that 
someone should look at you and they should see God shining through you. Right? That that's 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 Jewish beauty. It's not it's not so much about your exterior. It's that you're you're you you are in harmony with 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 the Torah, you're in harmony with the universe, with God in such a way that God is shining through you. And and that's the beauty. Okay? So now what are we saying? Now let's put it all together. We're saying that on Rosh Hashanah we're blowing a hundred blasts. Those hundred blasts are turning into schach, which is Gematria 100. What happens now is that we're completing the whole world. On, on Shmini Atzeris, we're in the upper realms, toward the top of the ten sphero. The ten sphero were really a hundred. That's really a hundred, which means we're turning the whole world into schach. Which means what? Which means that wherever we look, whatever we do, wherever we are, we're seeing God shining through every single moment. And so, here's the way out part. That was just an introduction to this thought. <laughs> the way out thought is, since Chach is all about seeing, right? To have Sukkot's eyes, right? To be able to see God shining through everything. I want to say that your eyelashes are Chach. <laughs> right? And and they can't be completely covering your eyes, and they aren't, because the halacha is you have to be able to see through the schach. <laughs> so, so these are, this is how we're starting, this is how we're starting brachis, right? And that's to, 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 to look at each other, right? How are we looking at each other? How are we looking at the world? You see, I'm going to tell you a secret. I'm going to tell you a secret. It's very, very, very hard not to be reactive. It's very, very hard not to get triggered by the things that we get triggered by. It's very, very, very hard. And we have to take that seriously. We can't go, why am I reactive? Or, why does that trigger me? Like, no. It's sort of like, someone is like, you know, like, that, that, that escape artist, like, you know, there was, there's Houdini, there's David Copperfield, like all these like great escape artists who put them, they handcuffed themselves and, and they're in straight jackets and then put them in locked boxes and they drop them to the bottom of like a thing of water. That's us. <laughs> in, in other words, if you take your Yetzirah, like, oh, I shouldn't do that. No, you're, you're in a handcuffed in a straitjacket on the you know in a locked box on the bottom of a body of water like you really everyone has to really respect their Yetzirah meaning to say you have to take the level of difficulty that we're all presented with very seriously because if you think your status quo is enough to get you past the obstacle that you're experiencing in your life, you're wrong. You're wrong. It's not just going to go away. It isn't just going to go away like, you know, I've been having a bad many decades, and, you know, I'm just going to, like, you know, get an email inviting myself to be the Secretary of State, most likely. It's coming. It's coming. I just have to just have more kavana during Shimon Ezra. It's not coming. 
It's not coming unless you really work to change it. Unless you really respect your Yetzirah and the degree. You see, because one of the things that the Yetzirah wants you to do is to get used to it and to dismiss it. So that we don't work to do the level of change that we need to do so that we can be under its thumb for the rest of our lives. A new level of effort is required of us. And we can do it, but, but we get lulled and, and hypnotized. Right? We get hypnotized by the things around us and then we think that, no, that that's actually isn't really required. And I got this sort of like kind of promising lead, so, you know, we'll throw out a few promising leads so that so that we're sort of lulled back into our stupor. Okay, I, I don't have anything else to say, so I just, maybe we'll just end there. Okay, so there is a small rebellion here. <laughs> we can't end on that note. So let's just end on this note. <laughs> you know, I always think, I always think that, uh, when it comes to this time of year, and just to, to relate it to an experience I think we've all had, which is we've all gone to a, a big sports event or a big concert or whatever it is, and you, you know what it means to attend an event with thousands of people. So the, 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 the part I'm talking about is getting into your car after the event is over. So a lot of us have had the experience of forgetting where we parked, right? <laughs> or we, we finally get to our car just because it's a long walk and there's that excruciating experience of trying to leave the parking lot and getting onto the highway or the roads, whatever it is, and it's just, it's just bump, bumper to bumper or, or, or as the uh, traffic reporters say it here in Los Angeles, bummer to bummer, right? It's all just, it's just like slow and go. That's another traffic reporter favorite out here. So it's, um, so, and then other people, so that's us right now. So basically we've just, the concert's over. It's now time to drive into the year. And so, so what I would really suggest and what I, I, I want for myself, don't spend the next six months looking for your car. <laughs> don't do that. Pick one thing and just run with it. Pick one thing and just run with it. Pick one thing and run with it. And, and, and I think that the, the, the point that I was trying to say before about not being reactive and, 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 and is that we can decide, you know something? This is what it's going to be right now. This is what it's going to be right now. And sometimes, you know, you have to fake it slightly. You know, I'll tell you a story, which is I, when I first started dating my wife, 
It was, um, it was a pretty short courtship, but she was kind of just getting over a, a, a long-term relationship that she had had with someone else. And, and whatever it was, and I was jealous because, you know, you know if you love someone, you, you don't want them to be thinking about someone else. And she was still getting over him, you know. And um, there was a particular, you know, issue that they were working on, which turned out to be um, irreconcilable, you know, lucky for me. But um, I remember we were having lunch, and she said, his name came up, or I brought up his name, which was, but there was like a very bold moment where it was almost like playing poker, like, like bluffing at poker, at high stakes poker. And this issue came up, and I said to her, that's that's not the reason. And it was, it seemed pretty clear that that was the reason why I wasn't working out. And I was like, and I had no idea what I was talking about. But I said it with such conviction. I said, that is not the reason why the two of you are together. The two of you are not together because it is the wrong relationship. And this is the right relationship. And she looked at me and she was like, that's the wrong relationship. <laughs> and it was like a Jedi mind control thing, you know? <laughs> and this is the right relationship, you know? You know, like you're at the checkout thing in the, in the airport. There is nothing in your bag, you know? So, you know, so... And then, you know... And that was a really critical moment. That was a really critical moment at least for me, at least for me anyway, you know, I think for her too, but there was, there was some real bluffing going on there, because I really didn't know what I was talking about, but I, I said it, I, but I really, but I really said it strongly, and um, we, we, we can also do that. You know, I heard Rabbi Green say one time, if anyone is, um, if anyone is waiting till they're 100% sure about something, no one will get anything accomplished in life. Zero accomplished in life. In other words, that's a really, it's a false, it's a false barometer to hold yourself up to. Because nothing, nothing works that way. Nothing works that way. Okay? And, and so, to, Expect that of yourself, to expect that from life, it's, it's just, it's foolish, actually. It's actually foolish. So, so, so at a certain point, you can just say, you know what, this is what I want. I'm going to make this happen, right? I'm not talking about magical thinking right now, but I'm talking about, you know, just going down a certain path that makes sense. This is what it's going to be. I'm going to make this happen, and I'm going to make myself responsible for the success of this thing. Right? And, and, and that's, that's what we want. That's what we want. That's, that's what's going to drive us through. And you know, there's something that, there's a particular challenge that I've had, something that I've been trying to accomplish for really, I'm not joking, about 30 years now. I haven't been successful yet. I haven't given up on it. I'm, and I'm still hammering at it. And I realized just over the, the, the yuntif, it's not going to happen on its own. The problem is, is that I haven't developed the muscles for it. There's a, a, there's a, I think they say in Yiddish, if I'm pronouncing this right, Zitzfleisch, 
which means the ability to sit and not just get frustrated and stand up and walk away. They just, the, you know, a person has to develop a certain patience and, and, then, and, then, and understand that just like, you know, like when you're learning how to type, you make so many different mistakes. And then you, you go at it and then you get better and you get better and you get faster and you get faster. But it's a learned skill. And we have to understand that there's certain challenges that we have that just, are you willing to learn how to do it? Now that's very separate from, from did it happen yet? Did it happen yet? Did it happen yet? No. Or, I'm, I'm, I'm saying that requiring something very different from us. Are we willing to put in the time to learn how to do it, right? Which might mean, let's say in a relationship, are we, are we willing to get to the point where we say that, no, it's not that the other person is just so endlessly, relentlessly, habitually annoying, but can I get to the place where I'm more patient and more tolerant and more forgiving, right? Where I'm not just looking to the other person for, is it going well? I'm looking to the other person. Is it going well? Is it going well? Are they giving me what I need at this moment? No, I've decided that I'm making this relationship work. And you know what? I don't need to have a referendum every five minutes based on their mood. I've seen enough that this is what I want, and now I am going to make it work. And are they going to be annoying? I promise you they are. I promise you they are. But are you then going to be the type of person that say, okay, this is, I'm also annoying. Right? Like my father would love to tell the story about the woman who walks into the marketplace and picks up a chicken and she's holding it upside down and she's looking between the, le- the, the, the feathers and everything like that and the shopkeeper comes up to her and says, lady, could you pass such a test? Mm-hmm. Right? So, you know, we're holding these other people to these like crazy standards. Could we pass such a test? I don't know. I, I do know. No, we can't. <laughs> so, I'm talking about that there are certain things that on some level you can make happen if you decide to make them happen. And some of that requires a bit of a bluff, right? Where you go, no, that's not the reason and you have no idea what you're talking about. But at that point, you're just, you're in. You're in and you're going to make it work. Right? Okay. So, so let's find our cars. Let's just press on that gas, rev it up, you know, put it in drive, and just have a remarkable, remarkable, remarkable year, life, and world. Amen. 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 Amen.